Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Gitterer. Well, in this podcast, we're going to help you attract more qualified, unbelievable, ready-to-buy clients. And the one thing you're hoping for blows more deals. It's time to sell or die. Diehards, we have a fellow salesperson on today that I think will surprise you because he basically came back from crippled to build a sales career. And in spite of his ability to fish, he's decided to fish for customers rather than for fish fish. Please welcome the great Kip Thino. <laughs> Thanks, Jeffrey. That's that's quite a, that's quite an opening. <laughs> Lazarus back from the dead. <laughs> um, tell us about your injury. Yeah, well, I, I started out in Minnesota, played hockey there, went to a, a military academy called Culver, played in the ECAC and uh, was was kind of a, a jerk as a hockey player. Jeffrey, I didn't learn, didn't learn until I was later in life to be a little more patient. And I went into the boards the wrong way, trying to kill somebody that had had cheap shot at one of my friends on the team and slipped three discs at the same time and herniated two. So it was uh, one of those injuries that takes your nerve out, takes your leg out. And yeah. so what was your recovery time? Uh, well, like every sports idiot, I tried to play 40 more games. And the doctor said, well, we're going to gut you like a fish to keep using the fish analogies or you can hang them up. So I hung them up and, uh, and uh, it was about six months later and came out uh, west to uh, try to get a master's degree because I wanted to teach English and coach hockey. And that never happened because I got in the sales. Wow. So everything else all right? Ah, uh, the teeth, the shoulder, the knees, the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Hockey is a game where I always I always liken it to Clarky scoring a, gig, a goal in overtime and that classic picture of him with no front teeth. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the best. So you have this book. Hold up your book. Sure, absolutely. Well, losing teeth is a rite of passage, by the way, Jeffrey. For those people who uh, are listening, the book is called A Sales Paradigm. Correct. And Kip is about to explain what the paradigm actually is. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Jeffrey, and I'll I'll say, I mean, your little little red book is selling the sales bible. Look, every, everybody should read. Don't pander for applause. No, I'm pandering for you. You got to buy. No, you're it. you're correct. Yeah, <laughs> I am correct. But you yeah. know that that's where the foundations all come from. About 2014, um, I was with a company, and and my mentor and I were teaching sales theory and sales classes, and we'd go through it all: needs based, spin, challenger selling, consultative selling, and there's so many. Right? There's thousands. Bullshit. Come on. It's Those the, courses are absolute, you know, give me a 25 year old kid, give him the challenger sale and watch how many times he gets thrown out of an office. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so <laughs> we, <laughs> we think the same way. So we sat down over a couple of beers and we said, listen, this isn't working. Sales is no longer an art and a science. Nobody teaches it very well. You'd have to read every book out there and carve out the the fat and get to the meat. And um, we started the sales paradigm and then I finished it over about 10 years. And what was the what is the the essence of the paradigm? Well, there's a couple there's two really different theorems behind it. One is that nobody does anything on a need. There's only five, right? Needs that human beings have. So that's incorrect. And that stops at the water's edge. Right? Food, water, shelter, love, and pay your damn taxes. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, another one. Yeah, food, water, health. shelter, health. Yeah, health and, and oxygen. Yeah, and a, and a warm blanket and love is actually another one, but uh, supposedly. But we just thought that's wrong. Uh, needs doesn't work, right? So you have to get to an impetus, an internal locus of control where people want to do what they want to do. Just because somebody needs something doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. No. You know, no. men need to go to the doctor every year. I'd like to have a quarter for every man that does not. <laughs> well, I certainly don't want to go to the dentist, but I guess, uh, you know, and you don't need a drink, but you want one and you know exactly which one you want down to the color, down to the, yeah. down to the. Go to any Starbucks. That's right. 
That's right. So that was that was the first part is how do you create a want? How do you get to that through analogies, through being in somebody's frame of reference? And then this is going to get a little crazy because I'm not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. The old Chevy Chase line. It was my understanding there would be no math. But I uh, I, I was watching a, a, a physics show on Einstein and his theories of relativity, which mm-hmm. was a paradigm shift in physics from Newton's laws of gravity. When I started to look at that, I realized that because light is a constant, that's your frame of reference and why everything around that you have to be relative. And that's what he figured out. So I said, why can't I develop what's called situational relativity in sales, uh, not to get too, uh, you know, too crazy here on the physics side, and, and figure out how you get into somebody's frame of reference using his same kind of thought process that he did in physics. So those are really the two bases of the book. Let me go back and throw something at you. Yeah. To me, the first big sale I made when I was in the imprinted sportswear business in 1974, four or five was to Revlon. I sold them the Charlie t-shirt. I called my aunt whose brother I knew worked for Revlon. And I said, can you give me the, the phone number of the CEO and tell him I'm going to call? And he goes, sure. So that's another theory of relativity, mm-hmm. using a relative to make a sale. <laughs> And I I walked out of that office with a sale for $120,000 in 1974. Do that math. (laughs) And and so I want you to look at if you if you're looking at the paradigm shift, there's also it's not just a theory, but it's also who do you know that can that can boost your your presence? Who do you know that can get you in a door that somebody else can't get you in or that you can't get in yourself? Think yeah. about that. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. No, I love it. The, the relative. I never thought of that. If you have an actual relative, I wouldn't even need to write the book then, Jeffrey. I'm just, throwing it out. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out. We're just having a conversation. 120,000. That's like 10 million today. That's a big sale. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, and you're right. And, and the, there is, you know, the biggest mistakes that we see one, one companies don't teach sales and they don't focus on it. And you know that better than anybody. They're not good at it. They don't teach sales well. They check a box. Right. Yeah, I got my, it's like they, they check a box for a CRM. They check a box for sales training. They 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 check a, a box for for what's known as onboarding, and then they're done. They look at their sales reports every week and find out why Bob didn't hit his numbers, and then three months later they fire Bob. Right. Okay. Blame Bob for not hitting his numbers. Yeah, yeah. You send them out to the wolves, and then what are the biggest mistakes that they make? You just said it. They don't have champions. They don't know the six degrees of separation or how to build relationships, how to build that rapport like a good Correct. bartender would, right? Correct. And then what do they what do they lean on? What they've been taught? Well, they. I think the New York definition of that is they're fucked up and stupid, but I don't want to be too risque their first time, first date. Yeah. Or, or both getting into sales and to begin with, there's two. Yeah. And then they thought, what do you do? You end up just going right to the biggest mistakes, leaning on your features and benefits, going right into data, right into some kind of presentations. And you don't know shit about the customer or what they want or how they're making those decisions. Maybe you did. Maybe let's give the salesperson the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they Googled the company and they found that shit about them. Mm-hmm. They still walk in empty because they don't have an idea. They only have a pitch. Right. All right. Keep going. So where do you, how do you get the ideas? And and you listen, you, you, you read a fucking book on ideas. You read a book on ideas. How do they make decisions? But it's not just, okay, you know, who's who, where we can now stalk everybody <laughs> on the internet and on LinkedIn, you know, their favorite team, you know, where they went to school. You know why they went to school. You know if they like to fish, right? So there's all of that. And then just the, uh, what I love is, 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 and Jeffrey, you've seen this too, the questions are all horseshit that people ask these days. They're all basic, one-answer questions. They're not mm-hmm. profound. They're not- so What do you do with your data? How do you mine data? And I'm like, <clears throat> go away from me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're fired. I'm not buying from you. Let's take it just a, a little bit deeper. 
uh, where's the value in the presentation? So ideas and value are the two things that are missing probably from 99% of all presentations and the other 1% are the guys that make the sales or women who make the sales. Actually, women are better at sales than men, but another story. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think you make, I think the sale starts and ends with those really good questions to understand what they want and then put an analogy around it that takes them out of the line of sight to where yeah. they're at. And people don't do that. Analogies are an art. I think you got to earn the presentation. I don't think the presentation means shit if you don't know the other things. You're just wasting somebody's time. Okay, so let's go to one more thing, paradigm-wise. Why do real estate agents go to closings? Is this the start of a joke? No. <laughs> Why do they go to closings? Well, yeah. be, with their customers? Yeah. To make sure it's signed. <laughs> right. To, make, to get their money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So most salespeople count money. You leave a sale and you made the sale and you're figuring out your commission in your head before you hit the car mm -hmm. or before you hit the subway or before you go to the next sale, wherever it is. And I don't think, and this is just me personally, I don't think enough salespeople love what they do. And as a result of that, they're only thinking about the money. And the customer can smell that, especially at the end of the month, when you have that one sale you got to make and you never fucking make it. Yep. And you telegraph it the, you know, can we have this wrapped up by Tuesday? And mm -hmm. and that's the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. Or or I've got to hit my number. Do you mind putting in this bulk order for me? And, yeah, exactly. Can we yeah. backdate this? So right. what does that mean? Well, it becomes all about you. And I've got a which is blood in the water. You said it right. And uh, there is a section in the book that talks about. Man, if they don't remember your story, if they don't remember something about you or the company, yeah. the next time you come back, if you're making the sale just for the money or for that one sale, you have absolutely no respect. And if you're selling a commodity, you should just get out of the business. I'm going to show you something. Yeah. This is a baseball signed by the staff of the hotel at the Burbank Hilton Hotel in, in Burbank, California. I've had it for 15 years. It was their thank you. And that instead of a fruit basket, which cost $35, the baseball, which cost eight bucks, will sit on my desk forever and there's no you know what's going to hang around what's the leave behind what's the, what's the memory piece besides your piece of shit business card that you're going to leave in order to be able to you know have them fondle something that's beyond your proposal if you walked into that hotel today i bet when you shook hands with some of those folks they're still around you'd remember oh, their i guarantee you they are i'll guarantee you they are i i was at um the Red Flame Diner in New York City on 44th Street between fourth and between fifth uh, and sixth. And right next to it is the Algonquin Hotel where I used to stay all the time. I walked next door to the Algonquin, same bellman, same bellman. Wow. They've been there for like 30 years. And we hugged, literally. We fucking hugged. <laughs> and you know, you make a friend with somebody, you, you know, you shoot the breeze with them, you kibitz with them. But I'm telling you, those things never go away. They never go away. Mm -mm. And that's what, it, to me, that's what the sale is all about. The best coaches I ever had, I remember, and and some have passed away and cried yeah. when they did. They still mean, exactly. they still mean the world to me. Yep. Yep. So what's your strategy for closing a sale in sales paradigm? It, well, one of the things is we do revisit the core fundamentals of sales, right? And then, of course, that fourth one is closing. We add what's called a reclose to it. And it's not magic. It's more of, you know, people these days, they don't ask for anything. They don't ask for anything. You, the the follow-up, a uh, upfront contract, which is some kind of agreement at the end. Give me a break on that. Will you, please? you know you know what I'm saying? That's an old one. There's no art to that either, but it's also on a reclose is really gaining. It's also rude. It is. It is. It is to do that. 
It is. So I'm not a hard closer. I think if you if if you don't ask for something and you haven't earned it and they're not agreeing, everything right. you've done has just been wasted. There's a reason. Right. Yeah. So really the close for us in the book is to have them close themselves, which they should have already done by agreeing with your analogy or confounding an objection. And all of that then is a long-term process for them to migrate their business to yours. And you can sort of modify it. I I use, is that fair enough? That's, yeah. that's where I go to. But um, if you agree with anything, if you agree with what I'm talking about, can we move forward? Yeah. Simple. And if they say no, then you they haven't agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we, we go through some actual real world. That's the other thing is we take it out of medical and put it into real world situations. And I'll never forget, we were in a, in a big sale and it was with a physician and the, and the doctor. Doctor says, no, they're all the same. Jeffrey, how many times do we hear that in a day? A thousand times. Oh, they're all the same. Yeah. And you could you could go into, you know, jump right into data, jump right into a presentation. You're, you're fucked. You can't, you're not going to go anywhere. You could actually go into analogies on that one that they're all the same. Okay, you've used them all, cars, hockey sticks. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back to a wooden stick. That's all kind of smoke and mirrors. It's great to think about those analogies and pivot. A lot of people don't. But how about this? If they're all the same and there's four products on the market, then I should expect 25% of the business. Well, all of a sudden, they're not all the same, are they? Because they're using 90% of the competitor for a reason. And it, and then that reason will come out, right? Yep. Which will be price or a relationship or a contract. But that first apathetic, they're all the same goes away. And that's the point is to get to the actual root cause of, of why they do what they do. Okay, I buy it. Um, <laughs> but the you know, obviously the challenge for the salesperson is repetition. So they get comfortable enough with it and they feel comfortable when they're in front of the customer and they don't sort of act nervous. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is there anything in your book about how much you have to practice? Yeah. I mean, the the Bobby Knight who just passed away, uh, who when I went to IU said the will to the will to prepare is more important than the will to succeed. One of the best coaches ever, right? And we talk about that that the top 1% in any sport, the Gretzky's, the Federer's of the world, they don't get there by accident. Right. They Kobe are not. Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Bryant. Jordan worked on a different shot every single summer. So he came in with a new arrow in his quiver. And they're not thinking about the mechanics of a golf swing. And Gretzky's not trying to remember how to stick handle. They do it 500 times a day, every single day to be that good. Right. It's automatic. becomes automatic. Actually, awesome. it's an involuntary mental trigger. Because once you don't have to think about it anymore, then you can build another skill. Yeah, totally until, free. Yeah, and if you're thinking about it, it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a section on that too, on on sharpening your your sword with what you're doing. And it, then it becomes a choice, right? Those who do it are going to get better. They're going to make the money. Yeah. They're going to keep their jobs. Those who don't, you know, Victor goes to spoils. Okay, so are there any parting words that you have for our diehards? Um, we address them one at a time. A lot of people listen every week. A lot of people download. But I want to make sure that your message is transferred into the diehard is sitting there listening right now going, how's this fucker making me make more sales? That's what I want yeah. to know. Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on and getting the voice okay. out. The book is a sales paradigm. You can get it on Amazon. My thing is, listen, read, read them all. Find your own rhythm and vocabulary. But when you find something that's working and you're practicing it and you're actually thinking through it, what I want folks to remember is all the marketing bullshit in the world, all the data, all the spreadsheets, your mind is your weapon. Everything else is your ammunition. If you're thinking through the equation, you can't solve it without the variables. I like Think that. through it and practice. Go back and say that again. Your mind is is your weapon. Your mind, your mind is your weapon. And I talk about that in the book. Your mind is your weapon. Everything else is the okay. ammo. I love that. I mean, look, there's no silver bullet. There's a lot of lead bullets, Jeffrey. You know that better than anybody. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, there is one silver bullet, but it had it was the Lone Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. Um, and speak, you know, think about the Lone Ranger for just a second. He had no brochure. He never said his name. He did everything in favor of the people in the community. And he had customer service with Tonto. Yep. Yeah. But at the end, who was that masked man? You don't know who that was. And I think he was the greatest sales cowboy of all time. Yep. Yeah. His business card was a silver bullet. Come on. And why did they remember? Why did they remember his horse's name? Everybody knows his horse's name. Why did yeah, they silver. remember his name? Yeah. Yeah. Because a the silver bullet was a metaphor to the horse or vice versa and i can't tell you which one but he had this high silver away like i have either fortunately or unfortunately collect autographs and i have several of the lone ranger and tonto which is a, probably the rarest of television autographs on the wow. planet uh because he signed it in uh with a logo like the t and then the O, and then he put the N in the middle of the O, and then put another T, and then an O, and just a just classic, classic signature. Wow. But uh, he was memorable because he was a good guy. He was a, just a good guy. And he was real cut, and his voice was like the voice of God. Come on, he had like an unbelievable voice. So Die Hard, if you're a salesperson and you have not ever watched an episode of The Lone Ranger, the black and white ones, just go on tonight and binge watch it because you'll see evidence of classic salesmanship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and another, I'll leave you with this, Jeffrey, too, from from folks out there listening. That is such a great analogy, and that's why we remember Silver. But here's the other thing. Do what your mom said, right for right's sake. Don't compromise on your ethics, no matter for the money or the title or a job. I don't care what the company's asking you to do. Ask the tough questions and have the moral high ground your whole career, and good things are going to happen to you. Wow, that's great. Okay, die hard. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Kip, thank you so much for being here today. Totally appreciate it. Um, die hard. Go out there and make a sale, even if your ass falls off. I'm Jeffrey Yudimer. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to like, share. Yeah, share with both your friends. And subscribe to the podcast. And remember, we have a free 22-day sales challenge. Just go to Yudimer.com slash sales challenge to start you on your way.